fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my mutant co-hosts. <laughs> I'm reusing that one from a previous Witcher episode. Still good. Yeah, I'm Chelsea Hollowell here, a uh, Witcher in training. I'm still not sure what color my eyes are going to turn out to be. You know, every other Witchers are yellow. But you never know, you know, with all the mutations, you can just never quite tell. You're hoping for chartreuse, aren't you? <laughs> what, what is that even? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Is it yellow or red? It depends on what timeline you're from. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> or nice. green. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was more green, but I don't know. I actually have no idea. <laughs> Let's name I think all the colors. Chartreuse is green. Okay. It's like a bright green. And I I also had a hard time with this one, but the only reason why I know it is because there is an alcohol card called Chartreuse. Chartreuse, and it is yeah. Bright green. Nice. I'm glad I didn't say puce. <laughs> I'm happy you just did. Okay, good. And who's who's our other co-host? Oh, me? Yeah. I'm just a pig owned by the local butcher watching a witcher and uh, a monster stalking each other. It's I don't like how this is going. This is this isn't going to end well. I don't like this. What yeah. What's your name, pig? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and I think everyone can probably tell by now that we have a special guest. Uh, hey, special guest, do you want to introduce yourself as well? It me. I'm Casey Cannon, and I'm one of the eels that powers the Hogwarts School of Witchercraft. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Trademark awesome. copyright registered. <laughs> nice. Push the eel in the water with the broom. Oh, I thought Just you said best. evils. I was like, okay, no, the this eel. is interesting. <laughs> the eel. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, uh, you know, uh, this week, I think people have probably guessed by now that this is part of our ongoing satire TV series covering The Witcher, the original Netflix series. And this week, we're going to be talking about episode three, Betrayer Moon, which I think is my favorite title of all the episodes. But yes, that's neither here nor there. What's important to know is that this episode was directed by Alex Garcia Lopez and written by showrunner Lauren Schmidt or Lauren Schmidt Hisrick, if uh, if you will. And that's the important technical stuff. Why don't we get into a summary? Sure. Here's a summary for uh, Betrayer Moon. In this episode, we follow our three main characters, um, Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri in their timelines, uh, which we've already kind of discussed in a previous episode. They're all kind of on a different timeline so far. We kind of don't see a lot of Ciri, but I'll get into that. <laughs> so Enough. We see enough. <laughs> in Geralt's timeline, he goes to Tamaria and he's dealing with the Astriga. He's going to be battling Astriga in this episode, and he finds out about it because another witcher tried to fight it, and 
he died. He was offed by the monster. Who That's is rough. the monster, though? Uh, I think humanity, man, is the real monster. Yeah, or the patriarchy. But we'll Could get be. into that. Yeah. So there's a lot of different types of lore about how a striga is made, but we find out that this striga was created through a curse. And we find out that all striga are actually female. But so this striga's mother was Ada, the princess of Tamaria, and she begot a child with her brother, the king, Foltest. And it turns out that, what's the, oh, Ostrit, her friend, was the one who cursed her because he was in love with her, Ada, but, uh, you know, she didn't really reciprocate that. Well, and Ostrit says that he cursed Foltis, but, you know, sometimes uh, the innocent get caught up in the crossfire. Yeah, and he was... Um, Using elven magic, uh, he didn't really understand what he was even saying. He was just given this curse and the ingredients by a traveling sorcerer. Hmm, I wonder who that traveling elven sorceress could have been. Yeah, <laughs> we have our suspicions. So, in the end, Geralt is able to keep the Striga from going into her crypt by the third cockcrow in the morning. And after that, the curse is reversed, and not before they could kind of try to off each other. They bite just, each other a little bit in the throat. Yeah, just a little throat biting. It's, well, it's not consensual, but, hmm. It's definitely, <laughs> definitely, you can't call it kinky either, because I think she's like 15. So yeah, that's no. weird and creepy. I'll do yeah. that. It was it's platonic throat biting, at least. Mm. Yeah, but um, they, they're both fine, don't worry. I mean, uh, Geralt almost died, but... Yeah. I mean, he passed out a little bit. But, yeah. You know. He's tough. What's a little bit of spitting blood? He'll be fine. So in Yennefer's timeline, she's going through an initiation to become a full sorceress uh, in Eratusa. But it turns out that the council, right before initiation day, Stregobor reveals that... Yennefer is part elven, and they think that that will hurt their political clout in the country that she's going to be um, posted at. Sintra, which we know from the first episode, but this is, of course, we can tell at this point in the past from when we've seen Sintra later on, but in the future. It all makes sense. I was going to say, that's very clear. <laughs> Yennefer doesn't want to go to Nilfgaard. She knows it's the backwater nobody wants to go to. She has ambitions, okay? She wants real power. And so she's not going to take this lying down. She's going to take this in the stirrups. <laughs> wow. Well said. Wow. <laughs> she's kind of upright. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She decides to take matters into her own hands and <laughs> go through the transformation on her own terms and basically goads the crafter of the flesh crafter. I like to call him the fre the flesh sculptor. Yeah, the fresh flesh, the fresh <laughs> flesh sculptor. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. She basically goads and insults him into 
helping her go through the transformation, even though the council wouldn't approve of it. She questioned his manhood. What could he do? (laughs) (laughs) I know what I would do. I would cry. (laughs) The intense eye rolls. I'm just over here like, she's like, what do they have your cock? It's like, ew, what is it with everybody from like Game of Thrones and uh, the Witcher being like, we're going to call penises cocks all the time. It's the romantic way to say it. Yeah, and then, like, I mean, why is Geralt waiting for the penis to crow? <laughs> <laughs> I think the penis crowing is most of the issues in this episode. Good point. Well said. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you're right. So, Yennefer has to give up. Uh, she has to make a sacrifice in order to go through this transformation. And she ends up having to sacrifice her womb to be able to, I don't know what to say here. To, to be pretty. <laughs> Basically, just be pretty. She to goes live up to like, societal beauty norms. I guess so, yeah. Because she was already beautiful, so it's hard to say. Yeah. She goes through, like, magical plastic surgery. Yes, Exactly. And um, the flesh crafter is using elven magic as well. Yeah, yeah. And I guess because, like, in magic, you have to, you always have to, like, give something up. There's always that trade-off. Yeah. And so the trade-off is her uterus. Yeah. Which is just fucking excruciating a lot. Yeah. Yeah, probably the most uh, troubling scene in the entire series. Agreed. Yeah, I would say so. And after what seems like a lifetime of an excruciating scene, that is actually I'm I'm separating the storylines here, but in the episode, the storylines of Geralt and Yennefer are actually intertwined in terms of the uh, narrative. And the the shots, the the scenes, the scenes scenes go back and forth, but the timeline is dozens of years, decades. Yeah. Different. A couple decades. Yeah. So Yennefer dusts herself off, puts on some makeup and a pretty dress and goes to the ball. Hey, after (laughs) after an endeavor like that, I would also put on some makeup and a pretty dress and go to the ball. Yeah. It's basically, it's not just a ball, it's sort of like their graduation ceremony almost. And it's where they're being paired off with the kings and queens of the different realms, where they will be stationed. And, just for the eagle-eyed viewer, we get a chance to see a young Foltest and Ada from Mm -hmm. Geralt's timeline as, um... Children. I was going to say flirty children. I am not comfortable saying that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It isn't inaccurate. It's just uh, gross and uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable. But we do see like the, the, the man that we later see as like a 40 year old man as like a 10 year old boy in the episode. Jeez. So Yennefer walks up to the King of Adern and introduce herself as Yennefer Yennefer of Vangerberg, and this king is all about making Adern great again. So he wants somebody from his own realm. (laughs) Wow, I spit all over my mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I literally just shit myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, you guys. So 
he wants to dance with her. He's he's fondling her. She's loving it because oh, she God. wants <laughs> she wants to climb the ladder to power, and this is how she thinks she's gonna get there. The penis? Something like that. <laughs> when it crows. Also, <laughs> oh, no. she's also doing this in front of her old beau, Istrid. Istrid. Yeah. And she also, um, she <laughs> walks up to the king of Adern, and he <laughs> is standing next to Frangilla, who was offered that position. Um, yes. And uh, and basically, he completely snubs Frangilla. Yep. Um, even though she was kind of like guaranteed to go to him originally, she I think was signed to Nilfgaard, and then they were like, "Just kidding, we're gonna assign her to the King of Adern." And then she's like standing there, and he's like not happy about it, and is like, "I don't know, you're not from my area." And uh I can't make my country great again with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. No. Yeah. And it's especially problematic because she's played by a black woman. So there's I know. Like it some made me other... very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. There's some other layers there that we can unpack in this in this episode. Exactly. And so she walks off all pissed off, rightfully so. And Yennefer is dancing with the king, and he's basically insinuating that he wants to hire her to come uh, play sorceress in his court. He wants her to wait till the cock crows three times. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, this is and- when you're talking about penises crowing. I did not get it. I just... <laughs> no. <laughs> no idea. Um, and so... That, then we get one short scene with Siri and Dara sleeping in the snow-covered woods, and Siri is woken up by somebody whispering her name, and she's lured into another section of the woods, almost in a trance, and her friend Dara tries to run after her to save her, but then he's shot by arrows that are, you don't see the source of where they're coming, but they're being shot from the woods. And he's lying on the ground in agony, and Siri is just walking towards these woods in a trance. Is she in danger? We don't know. But we'll find out on the next episode of The Witcher. (laughs) (laughs) That's about it for your summary. But before the next episode, why don't we move into talking about all the details in this episode? Cue the awesome music. (laughs) Wow, that was some good music. All right, guys, let's get into this episode. I know we all have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. I I think Casey's been champing at the bit to, to launch into this, so... Why don't you lead us off as our special guest? Uh, sure. I mean, this episode, it's it's frustrating because I, it's, it's a good episode, but it's also like probably the grossest episode and the one that offends mm-hmm. me the most. It's the mm-hmm. one that feels like it was trying the hardest to be Game of Thrones. Ooh, and that, that is harsh criticism. That is harsh criticism. But um, because, you know, there's a lot of boobies in, in this show and especially this episode. And I'm, I'm, mm. I love a good boobie. 
but we're um, pro booby here. I, yeah, we're yeah, very pro booby. Yeah. Like yeah. it starts mm-hmm. off and there's you know uh, Geralt is visiting uh, a brothel, I guess, or something, and there's some boobies there, and then there's some boobies later. I'm just gonna talk about all the boobies we see in this episode. No, I'm not gonna do that. Um, <laughs> we'll do our, we'll do booby uh, booby watch. <laughs> yeah, booby watch. Um, but I think New the segment. the the scene where um oh my god the scene where Jennifer has to have her uterus extracted so that yeah. she could transform into a pretty girl which is already like uncomfortable enough of a concept as yeah. is right. and is like very questionable why they have to use her uterus and you know and then on top of that she is like you know, in 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 stirrups and <laughs> spread yeah. eagled, completely yeah. naked, and it's this weird thing I wrote down in my notes: uh, sexy sadism, which yeah. is like pretty much what Game of Thrones was all about. Which is like we're gonna show violence against women in these like excruciating, painful ways, but. Isn't she kind of hot, though? And doesn't she have, like, really nice tits, though? And that's, like, the thing that I don't love about this episode is that that scene, I think that the idea that women in the... Female mages in this culture have to sacrifice so much in order to be on the same level as their male counterparts who don't have to sacrifice their physical appearances at all or transform themselves in any way... Um, yeah, Yennefer says to uh, Istrid that the mages from Bryn... Bannard? Her 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 boo from Bannard or whatever, like, doesn't have to... Yeah, they, the mages from that school, the all-male mages don't have to do anything to their appearance, yeah. Exactly. So she kind of calls out this, um, this imbalance or this... Um, I don't know, what's double right standard. Double standard, thank you. This double standard yeah. that's in place for this uh, issue. But the way that this f- scene is handled doesn't feel like it's a scene about a, a, a woman going through this excruciatingly painful thing and coming out more powerful. It actually feels kind of like sexy sadism like we just want to show a hot woman in pain because we get off on it yeah Yeah. i i just wanted to share some of my thoughts on this scene because i also have issues with it i feel conflicted about it Mm -hmm. because it's like does she really have control in this situation Mm -hmm. she is taking she's you could say that she's taking control Mm -hmm. of her own destiny by going forward with the transformation and taking this powerful position for herself Mm -hmm. but at the same time she's disobeying what she was told to do which is to basically take the job we've given you and and do what we say so that you'll be under our control well yeah she's trying to take control of her own life and follow or fill whatever role she wants to fill not what she's being told to do but at the same time she's still being controlled by this dominant narrative that she has to be beautiful to be able to be accepted and to own her power 
And also that the only place for a powerful woman is at the side of a king. And mm-hmm. so is she really in control here or is she just fitting yeah. herself into this niche that is acceptable within these yeah. cultures? I have a conflict here where I I don't know if she really has control or not. And I think uh, the 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 text or the script actually kind of points that out too because Yennefer when she's talking with her BF or boyfriend or whatever uh, Astrid (laughs) she points out like you know it's unfair that you guys don't have to go through this transformation this is obviously like a very oppressive thing that I have to go through there's a double standard here and later when she's talking to her teacher um her teacher says to her like you know we are recreating ourselves on our own terms we get to define who we are and we get to dictate what we look like and it's like well yeah but like you're not gonna pick something that society doesn't deem acceptable so there's this whole question of like is this your choice No, you probably wouldn't change yourself if people would just accept you for who you are, which I think is like a really good analogy for like, I know there's a lot of discussion about like makeup and is it like feminist to wear makeup or is it not feminist to wear makeup? And I think it's a similar analogy of like, if we didn't live in a society that told women that they have to be like supermodel hot, would as many women wear makeup? Probably not. However, a lot of women claim they feel empowered when they wear makeup, and that's probably true for them. And I don't want to say that it's not, but I also think that if we didn't put such ridiculous expectations on women to always look fucking model hot, that they would wear makeup all the time. Yeah, there's a there's a weird complex interplay between like the societal expectations and then how people can comfortably or uncomfortably slot into them. And yeah. it's, of course, it comes down to a personal decision of, of what amount of effort you want to put into it and, you know, how comfortable you are expressing yourself in traditionally feminine styles and everything. And it, you know, it, it really does get into a lot of complicated discussions of personal choice. That's all definitely true. And I think we kind of mentioned, all of us, a few times how Hunchback Yennefer is such an interesting representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in most media, we don't get to see women with, like, a lot of physical, like, differences? diversity differences. Yeah. yeah. And, she, like... We say she's a hunchback, not the typical American definition of beauty, right? For women. But she is a really strong, complex character with that. Mm-hmm. And I think she looked, you know, really good. That's just my opinion. But... I did too. I thought Yeah, I she thought she was great. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She is played by an astonishingly attractive actress who they like... But yeah, like the actress is, you know, sort of um, modified in post-production or whatever. So she's just starting off pretty hot and then they like modified her a bit. And 
So I, but I, I agree. I actually, I remember the first time I saw the show, I've watched the show now, like at least three or four times. And <laughs> yeah, the nice. first time I saw it, I was like, wait, I actually liked her better before. I don't want hot <laughs> Yennefer. I don't. Yes, exactly. Like exactly. this yeah. is not. Traditional, traditional standards of, of yeah, hotness. Like I'm yeah. not into it. It's, I actually really liked original Yennefer, you know? Yeah. Original Yennefer had a boyfriend and was getting laid anyway. So yeah, I, she's doing great. She was powerful. Yeah. She was getting, you know, getting some D. She was doing a doing a good job. Picking <laughs> up some sass, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that her and her boyfriend were both betraying each other for yeah. their oh, and respective. Oh, this episode, the title. It's called. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, called... A, it's called Betrayer Moon. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but we see that at the end of the last episode, where they're both spying on each other. For Istrid is spying for Stregobor, and Yen is spying for Tissaia. Yeah. And that's kind of where Yennefer gets this final push she needs to want to change herself and to assure that she will be sent to the kingdom that she wants to be sent to because she's basically told that she cannot do it because she's elf. She's elf because she's elven because she has quarter elven blood. Therefore the king of Aiden will not allow her to be his court mage because of this. So that's when she's really like Istrid, you know, you betrayed me. I am going to say, fuck you. And I'm going to get what I want. Yeah. But my point was also that even though she's kind of, she sees herself as taking control of her own destiny, she's Mm -hmm. still caught within this web of this dominant narrative. She's not thinking outside of this, like, I can take my skills and do something else with them. She's still operating within the system that seeks to control her at every move. And actually, so I obviously listened to the show and I listened to the last episode that you did on this. And I had never thought as much about her like issues with like control and taking control over her destiny and taking control over her rights. I never, it, I, I never really thought about it. But when you said it, I was like, wow, yeah. And then when watching this episode, I was thinking about like control and it's like, is it really control to prescribe to a system in the hopes that you can achieve the most? Or are you still allowing the system to control you and you've just slightly modified the terms you know or it's like it's like ah you know i'm not gonna let them punch me i'm going to i'm going to move their hand towards my you know body (laughs) as and it's like well just because you're helping them punch you doesn't mean that that's a choice because they were gonna do it either way and now you're trying to claim like Oh, I know the punching thing is a weird analogy. <laughs> but, I, but it's I a was good point. To think, yeah, it's like if if someone is going to do something anyway, but you then help them do it, are you actually controlling the circumstance or are you just convincing yourself that you have control? And you're actually trapped within the system. Exactly. You're, right, because yeah. she literally changes her body to fit into what the king of this other country is going to allow into his kingdom. Mm-hmm. She's not like, she doesn't show up as herself, as the, you know, with the body she was born with and say, 
this is who I am. You're going to accept me for who I am. Yeah. She goes, oh, okay. He doesn't like elves. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change my body to look completely different. Well, she, she doesn't completely. She does leave the purple eyes. And the purple eyes are a signifier of um of her elvenness. But I I do think that what's interesting is that after she finds out that the Brotherhood of Mages or whatever now knows her secret that she is elven, which, like, if you have purple eyes, that the jig is up. Right. We figured it out a long time ago. But <laughs> um, <laughs> She's like, it was my secret. And they're like, but your eyes. We are can okay, literally see it. <laughs> um, and that's the one thing she doesn't change. She keeps her eye color. Despite the whole physical transformation into like, you know, standardization of beauty or whatever. She keeps her eye color. But she, um, before she even goes through all that, and she finds out that they have, like, sort of spoiled her secret that she's an elf. She's trying to figure out a way to, like, trick them into thinking she's not an elf. So she's, like, in the middle of writing a letter that she's going to say is from her dad. And it's going to say it's she's not an elf or something ridiculous like that. And, like, yeah. Astrid <laughs> sees her writing it and is like, that's not going to work. You know and that, right? She- she tries to get him to recant what he says. Exactly. And, and it's one of these things where, like, clearly she isn't demanding people accept her. She is trying to work within the confines of a system, and she doesn't acknowledge that. She's always insisting that she is gaining control and power, but really she is still seeking her power through the confines of a system. Yeah. And it's not really power. I mean, she. I think. I think in in the perspective of the character, she is trying her best to exhibit a limited amount of power, but as much as she can get without um, having to completely sacrifice every part of her. I mean, in her mind, yeah. this is some amount of. I think taking control of her destiny, but you know, maybe it's not making the best choices for her own personal fulfillment. And and a lot of this was a catalyst due to Stregobor wanting to bring her down. He's basically the our representative of the patriarchy in this series. Mm-hmm. It's and, the beard. Yeah. And he's um as we learned in the first episode, he was obsessed with killing all of these young girls <laughs> that were uh, supposedly cursed. <laughs> And we're going to be the doom of mankind and bring about Lilith, which is actually a really cool uh, prophecy, but um, not a cool uh, thing that he did, though. <laughs> well, Very yeah, and, and he's the reason that so, Renfri is hunted and, and eventually yeah. killed by Geralt. So he is threatened by feminine power, and he's the one who tries to thwart Yennefer's rise to power. And... So he's got like major mommy issues or something. We can kind of talk about the patriarchy and feminine power being a threat to it and how there are men who operate within this system that try to keep women down and take away women's choices. And this is what really binds the two storylines um of the Striga in Tamaria and Yennefer storyline together. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so the Striga 
was created because a man, Ostrit, wanted to curse. I mean, he says another man, but really the curse got directed at Ada because he was pissed at her for not choosing him. Ain't that always the way, though? (laughs) Yeah. And then he doesn't want to try to cure the the child, the Striga. Uh, he doesn't want to lift the curse. He he doesn't want to help Geralt until he's forced to at the last moment. And Geralt basically tortures him <laughs> into <laughs> giving him the answers. Maybe not the best message in that scene. But I mean, at the same time, Ostrich's a huge dickhead. So. so he's also a betrayer. He betrayed his mm-hmm. friend Ada. And he betrayed the moon, right? <laughs> Hence the name of the episode. Yeah. But, um, I don't know what about the moon, but, uh, maybe it's because she comes out at night. Yeah. But so... That's when the freaks come out, too. Ada's choice in what to do with her unborn child and her rela- uh, problematic relationship to her brother was taken away by a, a man. And her power... it. uh to exert her own autonomy was taken away. And, um, I mean, it's the same with her daughter, who's been born as a Striga. She's powerful in her own right. She is kind of a monster, but she's literally, she's not the true monster of this episode or of that storyline. You know, we, we have that question coming up again for this episode. Who is the real monster here that we saw in the first episode? And, um, you know, you can kind of pick and choose for yourself because there are a lot of uh, humans that could be the monster here. (laughs) So as you're watching these scenes of Geralt, like, fighting with the Striga, you're also seeing the scenes of, like, Yennefer having her, like, womb forcibly extracted without any form of, like, anesthesia and there are clear these clearly like these battle scenes that are happening for both of them. And then in the end, there's the Striga has been like sort of reborn as a uh, a human girl, uh, like a young, I think she's supposed to be 15 or something. And she's lying in the fetal position, naked, like, you know, covered in like dirt and, you know, and just filth. Goo. <laughs> Just, yeah, sort of goo. Yeah, goo. And and then you're seeing um, Yennefer, who is also naked, go- having gone through this rebirth from, like, you know, her former appearance into this new, like, standard beauty appearance. And she's lying in, like, a pool of blood in the fetal position, you know, covered in blood. And there's, like, this really intentional juxtaposition of these ideas that these two women are reborn. However, one of the things that I also thought was interesting is that the thing that they originally were born as was not their fault. Yeah. So the Striga is a product of a curse and incest. And because of that, she's an, a monster and she's also a product of incest, which makes her like a, a, an abomination. And she becomes this monster because of this, like all, all of these things that aren't her fault. And then she gets reborn as like a human girl and, you know, she's still a product of, of incest, but they, I think they try to like imply that they're going to mask 
where she came right. from. Yes. Um, and then a similar thing with Yennefer, where she is elven, which is considered like an abomination for many who think that elven are, you know, like a lower race. And then um, she's like physically deformed, which many view in this world as an abomination. And she's like reborn as this... Uh, she's she's reborn as this like conventionally attractive woman um and yet she is still elven much like how the the striga princess is still a product of incest they are still those things that is still who they are but they have been like reborn and the original thing that made them you know abominations was never their fault and so they're being forced to go through these like really painful transformative processes that are processes um <laughs> and and it, it, it's it's just frustrating to watch because it's like you don't they shouldn't have to feel all this pain they shouldn't have to be in this position this is not something that is their fault this is something that the rest of the world has forced upon them that has made them through these horrible circumstances so like the show really intentionally tries to draw a parallel between these two things definitely it's almost like with Yennefer's, one of the messages that there, that is intended, I think, is that this beauty and the power that comes with it is kind of intertwined and that it's worth the pain that you go through to get there. Mm -hmm. And with the Striga, it's a little bit different. It's almost like the pain is worth it because there's a reward at the end that you're going to be more acceptable to the people yeah. around you. And, and you'll stop and eating people, which is, I mean, <laughs> I think as terms of fitting into society, generally but yeah, advised. As, yeah, uh, like yeah. you're saying, Jamie, and like what you said, Casey, uh, both transformations make them more acceptable to society at large. But they're mm -hmm. being, but previously they've been punished for transgressions that are not their own. And in Yennefer's case, aren't even transgressions. Right. And I mean, I really same for the Striga because she had no part in, in her birth or anything. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. her fault. I think the interesting part, too, is that as we are watching Yennefer lose her uterus, we also learn that basically how the Striga is born is, I guess, like Princess Ada was cursed and then she died and she was pregnant before she died. So when she died, the baby within her did not die. It turned into a striga, right. which slowly consumed at the dead Princess Ada's womb, which is like right. pretty fucking metal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And a good juxtaposition with what happens to Yennefer, too. Exactly. So she like it like consumes at her womb and just keeps eating, basically eats its way out of her fucking uterus and yeah. so this like there's a lot of like you know discussions about like either uteruses being removed or being like eaten through and having their body parts ripped out or mutilated it's pretty fucking heavy <laughs> yeah it's uh it's i mean of course the show is is fairly brutal <laughs> yeah i mean that's an attack on one of the core aspects of womanhood. Right. And what is kind of traditionally seen as a, a source of feminine power 
is this um, ability to create life. And so there's something here where in both storylines that is being taken away or denied that source of power or that connection is denied to these two characters. Yeah, and it's also just like really, really horrific. The whole concept yeah. of like basically Princess Ada like, you know, sleeps with her brother, creates this baby, dies because of like a curse because she's having this baby, and then the baby eats its way through her body. Like, this is horrible. This is like I know. serious hardcore body horror stuff. We probably should have had a trigger warning at the start of this episode. Seriously, (laughs) it is, it is rough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And there's like implications. I'm not a hundred percent sure what's going on here, but there's like, at one point, Geralt is able to figure out that the person who has cast the curse is the King's advisor. I'm blanking on his name right now. Ostrich. Ostrich. So he figures this out because he realizes that Ostrich was in love with Princess Ada. And he, he knows that because he smelled Ostrich at her crypt. And he... Like 15 years later, the smell is still there. The smell of shame. But (laughs) he also implies that he might've been there recently. Well, wasn't it, wasn't it, the bed sheets, wasn't it? Yeah. In her bedroom. Yes. Yeah. Not the good. He's yeah. like, I Geralt smelled you on the up sheets. The cummy wummy that was on the sheet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I know it's yours. Uh. I tasted. Then he gets real close to Ostrich so he can get a good sniff and be like, Oh yeah, it's you. It's so, you. Like I feel like Ostrich is like. I don't know, jacking off on the sheets or do yeah. it's like it's heavily implied but not actually said. This story is really fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, all we it know is, is there was a lot of semen everywhere. Yeah, yeah like so- he just held a black light up and was like, I know it's you. <laughs> it is like another crime like procedural show. Yeah. Except Geralt has Witcher scent, so he can yeah. be like Oh, yeah, I can smell it, all right. (laughs) The guy just smells like putrid nut everywhere. Ew! (laughs) Oh, God, Jack, But just think about this, right? That, (laughs) so, the, the queen was killed by this guy. He kills her, right? Well, he, he, he kills her by cursing... The child, basically. Yeah, he accidentally kills her, right? Fifteen years go by, and he's like, I think I'm gonna go jack off on her bed sheets, right? We're dealing with someone who's not entirely there, right? He's not in a good place. So you're saying it's justified that his intestines are torn out, I see. <laughs> justified? Um, inevitable. I mean, okay. like, <laughs> also, keep in mind that Princess Ada's, like, body is mutilated because the striga ripped out of her abdomen so like this like dead woman is i just it's so gross i also think that she's inside the the tomb that Geralt closes himself into because when he gets in Mm, you can see a mm -hmm. you can see a shoe that's true yeah. yeah, and you can see like some like a shroud. Okay, and, and so Ada, she's not in the bed. 
That's good. No. I'm yeah. glad. Because <laughs> no, I was thinking he was like beating it off over a dead mutilated body, oh. which is No, no, nothing horrifying. so untoward. <laughs> Just in an abandoned castle. <laughs> okay. He has to I'm go not- to a, a dead woman's room in an abandoned castle with a jack <laughs> Some guys yeah. have very specific kings. So Ugh. this same guy you know, when you're mad at someone, right? You might, you know, what the, the way fights happen, right? You get right. mad at someone. Maybe you swing a punch at him. It's impulsive, right? You just do it suddenly. But this Never guy... Never done that. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> but that's how I imagine it goes down, right? Mm-hmm. In, in fiction, this is how it works. It's a sudden thing. Mm-hmm. But this guy, he goes to a mage and he's like, give me some cursed ritual shit, right? He really pissed me off. And then he's bathing in lamb's blood in the moonlight, doing an elven chant. Moon. And for even half a second, it never dawned on him, like, am I a bad guy? No, <laughs> no of course no. not. That's cognitive dissonance for you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's why I brought up the question of who's the real monster here. Yeah. It follows through to this episode, too, because you get the impression, like, the people that are pointed out as monsters overtly aren't really the true monsters. Those are the ones that wear a nice face. And And uh, Ostrid has a nice face. (laughs) Ostrid and the king, Foltest, Mm -hmm. he is the one who is in power. He, I mean, how much choice did his sister Ada really have in their relationship? Yeah, I mean, and that is broached in in the episode. It is, of course, an uncomfortable topic, but... It is a he, major factor. He does say that they both couldn't resist each other. So, I mean, well, I don't yeah, know how... That was his that. perspective. That's yeah. his side. Of, of course he would say that. <laughs> yeah. Fol- the, uh, sorry, uh, Ostrich gives a different account, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but also is Ostrich, like, trying to justify his feelings? We don't know. We don't ever get to hear from the woman who was, yeah. you know, cursed and basically murdered how things went down we just get to hear it's true. she's not there to speak for herself yeah yeah we just get to hear this story from uh two men who have conflicting stories and i mean that to me is one of the strengths of this series that we, so much of it is history and some of the history we get to see what actually happened in flashbacks and some of the history is just like this we have unreliable narrators and we have no idea what version of the truth is real and whose narrative is authentic and all yeah. of that. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit to one of the other topics that I think is really interesting here. I think that Yennefer, she is a person who so badly wants power and has been wrong so much throughout her life. She has had so many people treat her Like, she's disposable, she has no volition, she has been, you know, just demeaned and disrespected, even by her teacher, who's also a woman. Like, I honestly hate her teacher. Fuck her teacher. Um, Like, she often has this, like, you know, I deserve this. I... I I am the most powerful. I want power. I want she is on such a quest for power um that I think sometimes she doesn't realize like who she's steamrolling or who she's hurting. And I do think it's really interesting that both her boyfriend and the woman, the other mage, Frangilla, whose place she takes uh 
because she basically usurps her position with King Adern. She gets um, the good job. I mean, yeah, she basically like steals the good job out from under Frangilla. Both of those characters are black, and I understand that in this TV show, there does not seem to be the discussion about race from that perspective. It's largely like, are you Elvin or are you not? But I still think that it's worth viewing these things through that context, because I do think that just because, you know, maybe this fantasy environment doesn't have that, we as human beings have that. Like, we as not people who live in the Witcher realm have that like understanding of what it's like to uh, uh, kind of sacrifice people of color at the cost of like trying to uh, seek power or move further up the ladder, especially if you feel like you're an oppressed person. Um, You know, she's suffering from like the patriarchy, but who has she pushed down to get there? I don't see her pushing down like white men. It's other, it's people of color. So other people who we, at least in the outside world, understand are other oppressed communities. Yeah, I mean, this is something I was thinking about through our discussion. You know, Jennifer's transformation isn't only physical. Mm -hmm. She's becoming more conventionally beautiful outwardly. Mm -hmm. Yes. But at the same time, she's kind of turning into the monster that she always thought people thought of her before Mm -hmm. in her previous body. Often man is the real monster. Sometimes woman is the real monster. (laughs) In her quest for power and prestige. Yeah, her ambitions, her political ambitions. She does sacrifice a lot along the way, and that is her, you know, meaningful relationships and, yeah, like you said, the people she has to step on to to get into that position. And those types of um, power grabs always have uh, leave victims in their wake. <laughs> yeah. And actually, a character that's not in a fantasy series, but a character that I think like really juxtaposes well with her character or relates really well to her character is Debbie from Glow. Because Debbie in Glow is another woman who sees the patriarchy. She sees it as evil. She sees men as like being really disrespectful to her, no matter how hard she tries, no matter how hard she works, no matter what titles she carries you know, like this society still treats her like she is second best and stupid and doesn't understand anything. And she like just grabs people by the jugular to try to get the power that she feels she is deserving of. But in the process, she does some pretty fucked up shit to other people and she undermines other women and she like hurts people who maybe are not deserving of some of the things that she does. And she will kind of like condone, um, you know, like maybe more prejudiced behaviors because she's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still getting what I need, which is to be in charge or whatever. And so you can relate to Debbie when she is struggling with her, like, being disrespected and being like uh, people assuming she's stupid, but then she becomes the bad guy when you see her, you know, like 
be really permissive of like racist characters or like treat her friends really terribly and be really vindictive. And so I think this is the same thing with uh, Yennefer, where in some ways you can see she's so desperate to have control over her life and she does con- deserve control over their life. Everybody deserves control over their life. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like, but sh- what she does sometimes is so frenetic and so based out of trauma. It's so like, I need to, I need to have control that she just will make these really rash or really like aggressive or potentially really mean decisions. Like she, she like dumps her boyfriend who was like trying to be supportive of her despite the fact that it seemed like maybe she wasn't going to be able to be a mage. Yeah. Well, it seemed like he was kind of like, Oh, you know, don't worry about this whole mage thing. You can be my assistant as I do research and all this other stuff. He was saying like, that was just something she could do as her vocation, but that this would get them out of this system of control exactly. that is part of the Mages Guild. Yes. And he said they could make their own destiny from yes. there. He wasn't saying that yes. she was just consigned to this life forever. His point was that they could make up a new path for themselves. But we don't know how much that is just him kind of using the rose-colored glasses to try to convince her to do to go along she with She certainly it. wasn't. Maybe, convinced. but I mean, <laughs> she definitely saw that as him trying to make her subservient to him. Yeah. And I don't think that was his intention at all. I think he was like, I really like you and I want to spend more time with you. Yeah. yeah. I would. Yeah. I want to do this thing. If you want to do this thing, there is an opportunity for us to figure out a life that's not just living in courts. And like, he was also mad because he was agreeing to go to court so that he could be with her. He was willing to to sacrifice what he truly wanted which was to be like a mage archaeologist because she oh, me wa- too man she wanted to go to yep. court and he says like you have this like amazing way of making your desires my own or something like how she like mm-hmm. manages to kind of mentally manipulate him into believing this is what he wants to do and he's like I don't want to do that. I want to be a mage archaeologist. And, you know, your chances at being a mage in court sound like they might have gotten, like, destroyed. So you could maybe consider having my dream with me and then we can try to figure out something that works for you. And she was like, absolutely not. And it was difficult to hear that because although you understand why she might be like, no, I don't want to just be subservient to you or I don't want to be beholden to you. I don't want to just have to follow you around. Alternatively, he was about to throw away what he wanted to do so that he could be with her because he liked her. He genuinely fucking liked her. Yeah. yeah. I think it, so too. It probably hurt the chances of their relationship working that they both were spying on each other and sold each other totally. out in the previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. They have trouble looking past their own ambitions a lot of the time. They like each other, but they also like themselves quite a bit. Well, she likes herself quite a bit, but I would argue that the teachers forcing them to spy on each other is not something that they have any control over. I guess they can't really say no. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing where like they're being forced and it ruins their relationship. It's the culture that they're in trying to take away their agency by, mm-hmm. you know, and by and by that, I mean, 
it is the their teachers, the people with the most power over them, mm-hmm. wanting to maintain control over every situation and using them and not caring that they are destroying the relationships between mm-hmm. these students, which is absolutely, I will say, as a former college student, as somebody with a master's degree, it is something that absolutely happens in some educational environments where people are pitted against each other, mm-hmm. are are elevated to certain levels and hierarchies where it, you know, the damage that people do to their relationships probably doesn't outweigh the the benefits of being like the favorite for a little while, but people mm-hmm. do it anyways because they think mm-hmm. that they are going to get a better position by kind of being shitty to the other people around them. Yeah, and I think I'd have trouble disobeying a request given to me by someone who turns children into eels. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's right? completely fair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I want to say no. Yeah. I mean, Yennefer was complicit in that too, and she didn't mm-hmm. really bat an eye. She was like, oh, okay, I win. They're eels, I win. <laughs> Take the broom, Yen. She was complicit in a way that I don't think that Astrid was complicit. I think that no. her, her, she has always wanted to operate solo because she has operated solo her whole life. And she has known that the only person she can trust is herself. She doesn't trust anyone else. And anytime someone is nice to her, she's like, that's great, but I don't really care. I just want to get to the top so that I don't have to rely on anybody else. She's so terrified to need anyone else. And it sucks because, you know, her relationship with Astrid actually could have been beneficial. I understand that they both were forced to scheme on each other, but she, I think, did so much more readily and willingly because she just always sees everybody around her as a tool to get her to the top because she can't trust anyone. And if she, like, was willing to consider someone as a friend, she might be able to, like, open up and have these, like, really important relationships. But instead, she just continues on this conviction of, like, I got to do everything by myself. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, especially given, like, what we find out in the last episode where Mm -hmm. her father literally is willing to sell her for less money than he would sell cattle for or whatever. I mean, yes. It's a form of cattle. This is totally <laughs> the way that Livestock. like an abused or underappreciated person would behave. Like all of yeah. this is very characteristic of that sort of thing. Um, it's just yeah. unfortunate, you know. Like you see that she's given potential to have a more meaningful relationship with someone, and she would much more readily throw it away. And you know, does it pay off for her? We'll find out. Yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe she has a quick turnaround and suddenly starts being nice and friendly to everybody she meets for the rest of the series. And meanwhile, Siri maintains her position as the girl in the woods that will always be with Geralt. Well, yes. And I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't want to move on from our discussion until, especially since we're talking about a show called The Witcher, we talk a little bit more about our boy Geralt because there's an important thing that's going on in this episode that mm-hmm. i want to touch on and it's yeah. you know it, it's, it's the we it up. scene exactly yes i mean how Gosh. how just look at that body oh. how and not to objectify henry cavill oh but objectifying, objectifying henry cavill 
no, there's this, I mean, besides that, there is this dialogue where Triss and Geralt are talking and Triss asks, why does Geralt want to save the Striga? What is so mm-hmm. important about him? And Geralt has this response where he has seen what happens when young women who have forms of power or whatever are, are deemed cursed and mutants and what happens to them. And Geralt actually really relates to characters like the Striga. Renfrey is the main one that he's talking about here because Renfrey was seen as a mutant. The Striga, he says, is was mutated in the womb and became mm-hmm. this, this Striga. Um, Geralt also went through painful, forced, bodily mutilation and mutation to become a witcher. Yeah. He feels this tremendous camaraderie with the street mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and with Renfrey. And he sees injustice. And there's this line of that King Foltis says, where he says, oh, you know, I've heard that witchers have their emotions dulled. So, you know, you can't even imagine what I'm going through. But everything that we see in the series does not confirm that. It always seems like Geralt has a lot of emotions. He just keeps them kind of played closer to the chest, but we can see it playing out on his face. It seems like witchers are trained to be stoic. Exactly. But he has all the emotions that anybody else would have. But he's just a big softy. (laughs) Oh, he kind of is. He is. He's also very soft looking. Yeah. (laughs) Soft and hard at the same time. (laughs) I don't understand how his body is even real. I don't think I've ever seen anyone in real life with a body like that i'm like where that's obviously not real that's that's a kryptonian body it's insane sorry i know this podcast isn't about um henry cavill's body but like i mean it could be they say like you know women they're expected to look like these supermodels and women don't actually look like that it's like men don't look like that like no not at all he's also an unrealistic expectation on men oh absolutely with with just like a decently healthy diet and like a normal amount of human activity that's what the average male physique looks like (laughs) totally you don't have to do anything extreme or extraneous to look that amazing yeah no absolutely like three chickens a day work out six hours a day and be part part Herculean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I read interviews with Henry Cavill about the diet he had to go through for these scenes. And you have to deprive yourself of water or, or whatever uh, to like uh, not yeah. to not retain water. So he's like, at this point, I could smell water for the diet oh I had to be God. on to look like this. He oh. was dehydrated most of the time. Yeah, yeah. it's brutal. It is yeah. brutal. But so he's a monster as an actor and a character. Getting us <laughs> no, back he's on a target. Doll as, a, as a person, though. As I love person, Henry Cavill. <laughs> inside. Outside, he's a monster. But um, <laughs> Just a really sexy monster. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, he identifies with other mutants because they're shunned and he has to believe that they can be redeemed because he wants to believe that he can be redeemed himself. Because he's done terrible things as a witcher. And in the last episode, he was telling the elven king, the former king, that he's learned 
to live among the humans so he can have his own life. He he doesn't want to be a, an automaton. He wants to experience life. And to do that, you can't you can't be a monster. <laughs> he doesn't want to believe that about himself. And so he has to believe that 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 you can change and that you yeah. can be redeemed. Yeah. And I think it's telling that in this episode he kind of sees another witcher he doesn't see another witcher. He sees this group of people who paid another witcher 3,000 orins to kill the monster in the castle. They think that that witcher disappeared with their money. So Geralt is concerned about the reputation of other witchers, too, because he is concerned with how people view mm. mutants and witchers mm. in the world, and he doesn't want it to be a bad thing and he says like you know i'll do it and you don't have to pay me until after i get job. back yeah, and yeah. they're like well what happens if you don't succeed he's like well i'll be dead it's like okay well it's a win-win for them but he's really kind of upset with tris that she's been hiding the other witcher's body because that's why the people think that the other witcher just bounced with their money but she kept it somebody found that money on him well, she offers him 2,000 orins to uh, take care of the stranger. And she says it's her money. So she fucking kept the money, too. Wow. Maybe, but but my point is more that he's upset that with her for kind of doing something that he thinks hurts mm -hmm. the reputation of his guild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's convenient for her to let other people think that the witcher, the mutant, is the one that is the bad. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if he didn't have emotions, why would he care? Yeah. Yeah, you guys are helping me see a lot more about this show than I originally saw. I'm not going to lie. I definitely, uh, I I enjoyed watching it, but I didn't think that the writing was very good. And I thought the motives were like always questionable. But as we talk about this more, I'm like, okay, maybe the motives aren't that questionable. They're just not as clear sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's so much going on and there's uh, like... When you're jumping between the storylines, it's really a show that, I mean, I'd say on our second watch through now and then third time we watched this episode. Yeah. Because this is my favorite episode. Um, it really rewards multiple viewings and piecing together the continuity and the timelines and seeing where characters mm -hmm. connect and how they fit together. Yeah. My favorite episode is still yet to come, and I'm going to tell you guys which one it is when I figure out the number, but you're going to invite me to that one, because that one is my favorite. Well, you know, Casey, we'd like to invite you back for any episodes on this show uh, that you'd like to join us for. If I can do them all, I will. I don't know if I can. Sometimes I'm busy, but I'd love to. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Well, before we finish up here, does anyone else have anything else they want to add about the episode or just something they want to tell our listeners? Anything on your mind? I did have one last thing. So the the king, we find out, what is it, Tamriel? Or is that right? Tamaria. Tamaria, whatever. Ugh, Tamriel, whatever. Um, Tamriel is uh, Skyrim and Elder Scrolls. <laughs> but, like, again, I swear to God, when they come up with things, they just change one letter and they're like, Tamaria! Totally yeah. different place. Uh, like, Nilfgaard, pretty sure I've heard the name Nilfgaard in several fantasy stories. Um, but anyway, so uh, uh, the king of Tamaria. Um, he does not deal with this Striga for years. It is plaguing his city 
for years. And he does nothing about it. And we find out that the reason he's doing nothing about it is likely because he knows it's his daughter and he doesn't want to kill it. But in the meantime, his citizens had to accumulate the resources to find a witcher that they hire. And when the first witcher, you know, quote unquote, goes running off with the money, um, they are starting to consider doing a violent revolt. Um, and I'm they so actually, glad you're bringing this up. Yeah, because class struggle. Um, of <laughs> uh, and, uh, and And they they even mentioned that like this has happened in Nilfgaard because in this timeline that we're in Nilfgaard has already been um I guess like overthrown there was like the king who just would like go around uh sleeping jerking with women off on and the sheets. yeah jerking off on sheets sleeping with women and and eating you know luxurious meals while his uh citizens starved and this is that that king is the one that yennefer did not want to go work for because she was like fuck that guy you know yeah. and, and she ends up um getting her job at at Adern and and um and we know that uh what's her name frangilla goes back to her her role at nilfgaard which she was originally assigned for in the beginning um, and we do know that years later, Nilfgaard is a brutal expansionist nation because in the yeah. first episode, we see yeah. them overthrowing Sintra. Yeah. yeah. And so it looks like, you know, like they're kind of doing well now, I guess. I mean, well, debatable because maybe they're also an evil dictatorship. Not really sure. But... Uh, <laughs> Signs point to yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the the people of Tamaria, Tamriel... Uh, whatever. Uh, they're like, wow. Well, we we heard that um violent revolution went really well in Nilfgaard. Maybe we should try that. So they're literally thinking about like murdering their king because he's yeah. not dealing with this issue. And yeah. I feel like that's a really important part to bring up. That like this is not going well. This is really really bad. And the people are just at their wits end. They've had their families die. They've had their livelihoods destroyed. They've had their like farm animals murdered. They've had their probably like, you know, just their town destroyed because of this monster that's been ravaging their town for 15 fucking years. Yeah, we see this crazy made-up fantasy concept that if you mistreat people, they are going <laughs> to eventually um, try to do something that might be violent against their um, leaders. I mean, it's a, yeah, uh, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, of course, that's a crazy concept that's never happened throughout history at any point of time or mm -hmm. anything like that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really good point and a really good theme in this episode that keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah, there's all these like little hints that like violent revolution happened in Nilfgaard and there are like seeds of revolution that are potentially starting in other places, which I don't actually know what happens with Tamaria um, in the end. <laughs> uh, I don't know, like if they've been like taken over or what happens to the king i don't know what the deal is there but it definitely seems like the people might be inclined towards violent revolution like if nilfgaard did try to run into tamaria that they would be like yeah sure fuck the king you know 
I think they have a strong foundation for that. Yeah, I mean, I, Geralt might stem it off for a little while by dealing with the Striga and like helping to create this false narrative that they're going to tell the people about it being a different type of monster. And of course, the king was uh, responsible and paid to have it all mm-hmm. done. And, mm-hmm. and like, let's manipulate the narrative a little bit to be in mm-hmm. the favor of the people in power. But, yeah. you know, for Geralt, it's just a payday. What's he going to do? He's yeah. he's a small fish in a big pond. Anything else people want to cover, talk about, or add? I want to give a shout out that part of that people's rebellion that was starting up in the mines, uh, they represented dwarves, which are underrepresented in The Witcher, but yep. exist in The Witcher. We saw the dwarven slave in the f- second episode. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, don't worry, he's one of the clean ones, right? Oh, God. And then, right, that's what they say in, in the show, the, the terrible family who he works for. Mm, that's right, yeah. Exactly. And he has to give uh, he has to give Siri his shoes, right? Right. But uh, this worker rebellion, like, a third of the workers there are dwarves. Yes. Yes. And they, they, they don't comment on it, and I love that. I love that. That is That's just great. there. It's just, just blended the into the world. Yeah. 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 I thought that was neat. <laughs> well, it's nice that the miners uh, feel camaraderie with the humans and the, between the humans and the dwarves and are like rising up together as like kindred spirits who are sharing uh, circumstances yes. and who are willing to fight together against oppressors. They're not being like misled and it's not like the humans are saying oh well the dwarves this and that they're all in it together and Mm -hmm. i think that's great Mm -hmm. yeah and i shouldn't say that they are not not represented keep an eye out for that in future episodes hey nice cool well i think that pretty much does it for the witcher episode three betrayer moon I hope you've been enjoying this series we've been doing on one of our absolute favorite shows i've been enjoying it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so have i me i mean too. I, these i look forward to doing these these are a lot of fun yeah me too <laughs> as always if you want to know more about swords and satire and follow what we're doing you can follow us on social media at swords and satire or if you're uh feeling old school you can join our facebook group that's right we also have a patreon and you could go over there, patreon.com slash swords and satire, and join our community of patrons today. Uh, Casey's one of our patrons. I was so going to say, awesome. you guys should totally subscribe because I do, and I'm on the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's Heck like yeah. the best advertisement of all. Yeah. yeah. I love these guys so much. I'm like, yeah, take my money. And also, I'll be on if you want me. <laughs> <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> yeah. You're always welcome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if people haven't been tossing you many coins then feel free to just tell your friends about the podcast. Maybe share it with people in your life and you can have discussions about the movies and shows that we watch and maybe you guys can experience them together. Yeah, and if you, you know, build up your own thoughts about it, you can let us know if you agree or disagree or... Yeah, give us give us your hot takes. <laughs> well, at least we know that one person will always be watching out for us. So until next time, Hail Hail Cry. Cry!